The obstacle of religiosity chooses the way we've always done it over the truth. That is the first obstacle that I want us to consider, the obstacle of religiosity. Um, and, and that is what happens here in the beginning where I was telling you a bit about the Sabbath issue. And so the Jewish leaders are angry at Jesus because he's choosing the Sabbath to heal a man. And the, to them, it is like going against the law. They can't see the Messiah for who he is. They've studied the scriptures. They, they know in their head what they should be looking for, and yet they miss it completely. They miss the biblical prophecy. They miss the awesomeness of what Jesus has been doing. They miss his authority. They miss all of these things. And, and instead, they're nitpicking over their religiosity. And I find that the great one of the greatest obstacles that you and I will face and over that we will need to overcome in order to get better is the obstacle of religiosity. It is this love of tradition and rules and legalism. And, and it chooses the way we've done it over the truth. You'll hear people say, but we've always done it this way. Well, just because you've always done it a certain way doesn't make it right. And we all know that in our lines of work. I mean, there's a point in life where, listen, we wouldn't be sitting in front of the computers using our smartphones if we kept things to the way that we were always doing them. Now, now, not every change is a positive change. I get that. But but you understand that in this case, they missed the truth that was staring them in the eyes. And, and listen, what happens when we get bogged down by the obstacle of religiosity is that our hearts become hard and we lose any sense of mercy. And to that, Jesus simply withdraws. It says in verse 7 that he withdrew. He got away. There's a time where you can face people who will come against you with legalism and with religiosity and with rules. And it's so easy to want to engage and get angry and want to fight for the truth. But there's a time and a place for that. And I'm telling you, more often than not, the right approach in this situation is to speak the truth in love and to walk away. God will you know, pray for the people in your life who might come at you with this obstacle of religiosity. And if you are guilty of it, then let's be looking for it in our life and let's ask God to cleanse us from it. And so that's the first obstacle that I want us to pay attention to from the text. Here's a second obstacle. The obstacle of appearances chooses to fake it over living in the truth. The obstacle of appearances chooses to fake it over living in the truth. And, you know, I, I, it's kind of stalled and talked a bit about Judas Iscariot. And isn't that a classic example of someone who's faking it? I, I don't know at what point in his walk with Jesus that Judas kind of woke up to the notion that he really didn't believe him, that he wanted to betray him. I, maybe it was a year and a half into his walk. I don't know. I don't know at what point he was like, man, this isn't real. This isn't what I want. Maybe at, at what point his love for money became greater than his love for Jesus. But but, but listen, you can be walking shoulder to shoulder, you can be in a small group with someone who speaks the language, who looks the part, but has absolutely no truth in their hearts. And so the obstacle of appearances chooses to fake it over living in the truth. Now the question to us, instead of looking at others and wondering, are they faking it or are they living in the truth? I would beg us to consider, are we faking it? Are we living simply for appearances sake? Or do you really believe what you say you believe? And listen, it is the pressure in our life that will demonstrate what we really believe. And so may God give us the grace to run to him when the pressure is on. And, and look, we're not going to get it perfectly, but with time we've got to get it increasingly well, this Christ-likeness and this ability, this, this God-given change and transformation that occurs in our mind as we s- submit our minds to the 
to the teaching of the Word of God. And that is why it is important to stay in the Word. And and I, I think, you know, I, I think this is easy to miss sometimes, this obstacle of appearances. Um, I really believe that the place where this demonstrates itself mostly is, is in your closest relationships, I would say in your family. And I know for me that the place where the truth comes out is usually with my family. And and if they took a, you know, if we had a question and answer it right now, I mean, they, you know, they, I would very authentically tell you that I know exactly where I fail and where my temper rises and my impatience comes out and, 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 and man, I cannot fake it with those closest to me. And, and if you, we don't have the spirit of repentance, again, when you, you say, what, what do we do if we struggle with religiosity or with appearances? Is the first thing to do is to repent and to recognize that we're not living where we need to be and to ask God for his mercy and, and man, he gives it. And so here's a third obstacle that we face in, in, in getting better. It is the obstacle of acceptance that chooses societal approval over the life that counts. All right? Do you struggle with that? Do you struggle with wanting to be accepted by the people around you? So you want to choose what society says is true and good? And and, and look, I know and not everyone in society agrees on everything, but, but you're, are you constantly looking for people who will affirm the way that you're living so that you feel a sense of acceptance and, and comfort and, and instead of choosing the life of obedience that counts in the long run? You say, where do we see that? Well, this... Um, uh, Jesus and his family. You remember, his family hears it. Now, Now, this is a Middle Eastern culture, and you have to understand that in Middle Eastern culture, family is everything, and appearances are everything. And, and so, here's Jesus' family. They think he's crazy. In verse 21 of chapter 3, remember, his brother didn't accept him until after his resurrection. And then he wrote the gospel, of, I mean, the book of James, right before, a couple of, cha- couple of books before Revelations. But, but before that, they didn't think he was the Messiah. They thought he was crazy. Mary believed, his mother, Joseph believed. But it says in verse 21, when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he's out of his mind. Remember last couple of weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus is either lunatic, liar, or he is Lord. At that point, his family would say, man, he's a lunatic. And, and later on, they would bow to their knees and say, he is Lord. And they gave their life to him. But at that point in time, they were more worried about society speaking well of them. We see it again in verses 31 where, where they say, man, your family's outside. And Jesus says to them, who is my mother and my brothers? This reminded me of Luke chapter 14. You know, sometimes Jesus says things that are so crazy hard. And, and I, I think we need to wrestle with those texts. And, and I think it's easy to be like, blah, blah, blah. We've heard him a million times before. But listen to what he says in Luke chapter 14, kind of along the same vein. And the cost of discipleship in verses 25 through 30, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? And so what Jesus is saying is not you got to hate your mom and dad in order if you're you know 20 and you're listening to this and you're living at home you're like, oh, I got the strategy to get through this. I got to hate my parents. That is not what Jesus is saying. But he is saying, you got to love me more. He is saying, you got to submit to me. And of course, God's command to us is to honor our parents and respect them and obey them. Now, this is heavy stuff. And I'm not going to cover this in a 30-second blip on a podcast. I need you to wrestle with it. I need you to go before the Lord and say, man, am I choosing family? Am I choosing approval? Am I choosing to find people who agree with my way of living just so that I feel good instead of turning over to Jesus and radically changing everything in your life? And you say, man, is that what Jesus wants? You better believe it. He came to turn our life upside down. I taught a study once. 
uh, on the uh, uh, on the on the book of Acts, and you can find all of the lessons. They're free. They're online, and and the name of the study was the Upside Down series. If you study the life of Jesus, you will see that everything about him was upside down. He says, man, if you want to be a leader, you be a servant. If you want to be great, you be the least. He, he took a towel and bent down and washed people's feet. I mean, it's just crazy. He went on the Sabbath and healed someone. This was not what people were doing in that day. He looked at his family. He says, man, the, my family are the ones who obey me. Are you obeying him in all things? Now, I want to move us into chapter 4 because we got to finish three more points here, all right? So in chapter 4 now, he tells them a parable. And I, I love this parable. It's the parable of the sower. So he gathers the crowd and he's speaking to his disciples. He says, listen, a sower went out to sow and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Others, the seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up and uh, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 34 and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He later, a few verses down, explains this parable to his disciples. And by the way, this is a pattern where he would speak in parable to everyone and then he would only expound it to the disciples because they had ears to hear. And remember, even they would hear and still didn't understand it until later on God would give them greater understanding after his resurrection. But at that point, they thought they understood. And that's happened to me in my Christian life. God will teach me something through a pastor or through a teaching. And, and I think I got it, and then and then it will play out in my life, and I realize I don't have it at all. And then he kind of reinforces it and reinforces it and reinforces it. And and, uh, and, and anyway, so here he, he, he this is, by the way, this is grace. That God would teach us is grace. And so so here he, he, he explains it to the disciples, and he, said, he goes on and he says how, you know, he says, they're the ones who are sown on rocky ground. So, so there's a sower throwing seed, and it's a picture of, of the truth, God's word being thrown on, on all sorts. Of, of soil and some receive it and they look like well some don't receive it at all others receive it and they fall on rock and so they look like um, they're going to grow but there's really no root so so they fade away they, you know they're and only time will show that you know difference and then and then and he says others are sown among thorns they are those who hear the word and I want to focus on this group and says and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So I'm going to give you another obstacle to getting better. Number four, it is this. It is the obstacle of materialism that chooses personal comforts over eternal joy. Isn't it? Isn't that like, I, I think especially for the Western church, but for really, I believe for the global church, there's such a desire for materialism. I've been reading more and more about the prosperity gospel in Africa. And I know it, I know in the Middle East, everybody thinks that if I just move out of my country, then everything's going to be better. And I myself, I'm an immigrant from, I was not a refugee, but I was an escapee from, from a land of war back in the 70s and 80s. And we lived through some difficult days. And, and there's this notion in our heads that if I just get enough, money and, and, and our focus can become so much on the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of the world and the desires for other things and they choke the word of God and here I am 25, 35 years after moving and I find myself constantly needing to watch out for this love of materialism. We, we, you get something and you want it bigger. You get something, a car and you want it flashier. You go on a vacation and then the next year you want to go on a better one and, and you're constantly looking around at what other people are doing and, and there's a the constant, speak about speed bumps and roadblocks. There's this 
obstacles of materialism that are constantly seeking to find a life of great personal comfort over eternal joy. And listen, it will choke the word of God in you if you don't watch out for it. So I beg you, I beg you, if you are drawn to the things of this world, ask God to give you a repentant heart and 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 and, and grow, ask Him to grow in you a love for the things that are eternal. And so that brings me to the next obstacle, which is the obstacle of self-gratification that chooses immediate results over long-term fruit. The obstacle of self-gratification that says now, now, now over long-term fruit. Now, you see that? Uh, well, in verses 21 through 25, he talks about, now he's explaining what the kingdom is like and, and the Christian life and, and the life of Christ. And he says, look, the truth is like a light. You don't hide it. It shows. And then you get into the seed. Again, he uses the parable of the seed. This was an agricultural culture. So they all understood this, this, these comparisons. These, these, and so he says, the kingdom of God is as a man who should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. And isn't that true? When you go to work, you tell people about Jesus, you go, you know, you go to the store, and, and, and you live your life trying to do good works for the glory of God, and, and you don't see results. And it is so easy to want to give up when you don't see results. And, and what happens to so many of us is that in our quest for immediate results, we get discouraged, disillusioned. And eventually disappointed in God because we don't wait long enough for the seed to grow. And we start accusing God, God, you and I are working my life. We look at other people who have fields that seem to be growing and growing and growing. And, and, and we want to bail. And we question God's goodness. And you listen to me. What we do often when that happens is that we revert to want to self-gratify however way we want it. It can be in the form of binging on Netflix. It can be in the form of sexual sin. It can be in the form of overspending. But we choose to sin in self-gratify ourselves over choosing immediate results. I want to feel good now as opposed to trusting God for long-term fruit. And you listen to me, the kingdom of God, he says it in verse 30, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. I remember when we first moved to Green Bay, my dad planted three seeds of three trees out in the front yard and one in the back. And he, it was a joke. We would name them like Lena, Nick, Lena, and, and Ramsey. And then the one in the back was Diana. And I always joked my tree was growing faster than the others. But but we were in that house about 20 years. And by the time we moved, those trees were big and, and, and just... It's just crazy. We never thought when we put the seed in the ground that it would grow into such a bountiful tree. And yet, they, over time, it just happened. And, and I believe this is how it is with God's kingdom. You might not see the fruit today, but it's going to happen with time. You just stay faithful. Instead of using statements like, this is what we say, God didn't come through for me. I did what he said, and he didn't do what I wanted. And, 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 and again, if you're in a place of disappointment, I ask you to consider in your life, have you gotten stuck over the obstacle of wanting immediate results? That will cause you to fall again and again and again. May God forgive us. May God change our vision. May he give us eyes to see in the long haul. Last point. Yeah, overcoming the obstacles to getting better. Number six, the obstacle of disbelief chooses to fear over faith and peace in the storm. I added the word faith. I think in your, in your fill in the blank, it's the obstacle of disbelief chooses to fear over peace in the storm. You say, man, I didn't know that was a choice. If given a choice, I always want peace in the storm. Well, it's about where you fix your eyes. So I love this little, I'm going to spend maybe a couple minutes on this story. It says verse 35 of, of Mark 4. This is an awesome, look, look, spend time meditating on the story. It will encourage you if you're going through a storm. It says, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. So it's Jesus' idea to get in a boat and go to the other side. Jesus, God, 
Jesus, who knows everything, who sees everything, who who came to earth. I mean, just this is crazy. He should have known the storm was coming. He did know the storm was coming. There's a point to be made here. He says, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to them, them, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you care about me? Do you not feel for me? Have you forgotten me? That's how we say to Jesus when we're in a storm and we think he's asleep or or maybe he is asleep on the cushion. I love that the story's in there because this is how we think God is up there sleeping. He doesn't care about me. And listen to what happens in verse 39. He woke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace. Be still. One word, peace. Two words, be still. You know, Jesus could calm the storm in your life in a heartbeat. He could do it this second. And if he hasn't, there's a reason he has not. It says the wind sees that there was a great calm. Again, pointing to his deity, that this was not an ordinary man. He ruled over the Sabbath. He ruled over illness. He ruled over demons. And now we see him ruling over the winds and the waves. Listen, he says, he says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is awesome stuff. Listen, the greatest obstacle you and I will face in our Christian life, day after day after day, or even if you don't know the Lord, the greatest obstacle is the obstacle of this belief that chooses to fear over embracing faith and having peace in the storm. Listen, if you want... Faith, you say, how does faith come? In Romans, we're told faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You spend time in the word. You ask God to use his word, which is inspired by him, and to change you with it, to help you use the word, to know God Almighty, who has given us grace and faith, and who continues to work in our life. Look, God wants us to have peace in the storm. The story is there for that reason. And I want to remind you today that no matter what the storm that you're facing looks like, God is the one who rules over the winds and the waves, and one word by him can change your circumstances right now. Hey, are you wanting to get better? And are you constantly overcome by the obstacles? Let me repeat them and I'll end. The obstacle of religiosity, choosing what we've always done over the truth. The obstacle of appearances that says, I'm going to fake it over living in the truth. The obstacle of acceptance, choosing societal approval over obedience and a life that counts. The obstacle of materialism that chooses personal comforts over eternal joy. And the obstacle of self-gratification that says, now, 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 immediate results over long-term fruits. And finally, the obstacle of disbelief, choosing fear over faith and finding peace in the storm. Look, look, God wants to take you from this He wants to help you overcome these obstacles. With man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So let us pray that God will hone in on one of those obstacles in our life this week. Choose one of them. Let the Spirit point to one of them in your life that needs changing. And then ask Him, God, how? How do you want me to change in that area? And take. remember last week we talked about taking the next step of faith. What is your next step of action in that area? If you're struggling with appearances and faking it, maybe you need to be authentic with people in your life. Maybe you need to go to them and ask for forgiveness. If you're struggling with materialism, maybe you need to give up something. Maybe you need to tithe. Maybe give sacrificially. I don't know. You ask God to show you. 
And it is, and if it is, if it is a self gratification and choosing immediate results, maybe it is a renewal, a, a dedication of saying, God, I'm in, I'm in it to win it. I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to compare myself to others. Whatever it is that God speaks, you commit to Him in faith that you will believe Him. And listen, He will give you the grace to do it. Of that, I can be sure. Hey, I'm Lena. If you want to email me, Lena, L I N A, at livingwithpower.org. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for us. And I'm praying that God would stir in us a spirit of revival to pursue after him with all that we are and that the world around us may see the difference as we resolve to follow him more closely. I love you guys. Be in touch. See you in two weeks.